0: Hello and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast. Today I interview Feather Burkauer and I'm so excited to have her today. I attended her workshop about seven years ago and it was one of the most profound workshops that I've ever attended and I feel like every single parent in the entire world needs to hear Feather's message. So Feather is a licensed clinical social worker and she is a leading expert in sexual abuse prevention and she has educated over 150,000 people on this issue. This is such an important issue about keeping our children safe from sexual abuse and as parents we need to take that onus on ourselves and not put that on our children. I do think that this is one of the most important topics that I can bring to the table, and I hope that everyone listens to this. So please, if you find this valuable, please share this information. This message needs to get across to all parents. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast, a place to explore possibility through mindfulness, movement, and self-discovery. Our intention is to deliver insight and inspiration while fostering conversations that are genuine, unfiltered, and deeply human. We hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hi, good morning, Feather.
1: How are you? Hi, Nikki. Well, how are you?
0: I'm good. So today I'm I'm talking to... Um, Feather Burkhauer, and I'm so excited to have you on the Connected Community podcast. I think that you have a really important message, and I am so thrilled to interview you. Thank
1: you. It's my honor, and thanks for asking me. Yeah,
0: so I I wanted to start with how I discovered you. Um, about seven years ago, I came to your parenting safe children um, workshop. And I had gotten the recommendation from a lot of moms in the neighborhood and your name kept coming up over and over and over again, go to Feathers Workshop, go to Feathers Workshop. Um, And I think it's such an important issue. And, um, and I have a master's in social work and I was thinking, I have no idea how to discuss this with my child, um, without creating fear and mm-hmm. um I, I don't i don't even know where to approach this topic and so i came to your workshop well um it was so incredible it was packed full of information you are an incredible um presenter and i know you've presented your information to over 150,000 people um at this point point. and i walked away with such a toolbox full of knowledge and I was so grateful. And I've shared your message a lot with a lot of people. And I think your workshops and your message are very, very important.
1: Thank you. I'm, so, I'm just thrilled. And it just warms my heart that you got, you had so much value out of it because that's what it's all about. And hopefully we'll get into how you've practiced it and yes. used it for your child and in your life. Yeah. So but other people I, can do the same. Yeah. And I think
0: it's such a huge issue. Childhood sexual abuse is such a big issue and it affects so many children. And I like how you put the onus on the parents. It's about the parents keeping the children safe. Um, and I have your book here off limits and um you co-authored this it's a parent's guide to keeping children safe from sexual abuse and um it is packed full of information and i think one of the good starting points is people don't know where to, where to start and it's having it's having those conversations with our children and having those conversations with their educators and their gym teachers and their babysitters and opening up that conversation um And one of the things that I thought was so interesting about you was that you have gone into the prison system and met with actual offenders to get inside their head and understand what they're thinking. And that's where a lot of your knowledge comes from. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit about that journey and what that was like and what you've learned through that process.
1: Okay, so let's see. Most I've been in the prison systems uh two or three times in a women's prison in Denver and then um the the prisons in Canyon City most of my work working uh interviewing and speaking with people who have sexually offended has been in outpatient treatment groups but i but i also you know went into the prisons a couple of times and what was it like it was eye opening it was Ah, uh, so informative, uh, terrified. You know, Nikki, I wasn't terrified. I mean, yes, prison was scary for me because I know nothing about prison in inter- personally. Mm-hmm. And it was scary seeing, you know, jail cells and uh, prison yards. But meeting with people who have done this to children wasn't scary for me. And maybe that's why I can do it. I mean, the information is scary. It is. And it's repulsive. I acknowledge that. I acknowledge mm-hmm. that for everyone listening here, especially for survivors. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the reason that I speak with people who sexually offend is to learn how they do what they do so I can impart that to you and communities and keep children safe. And what really I learned was that so many of these people doing this to children really don't want to be doing this. And that might come as a surprise to your listeners. I mean, there are many who do and who probably will never stop. But there is a whole population of people who offend children for so many reasons, you know. And I really want to focus on prevention today, but, mm-hmm. you know, for so many reasons that when treated and when addressed really can stop. And, it's just—it's not a topic that that people that's that's easy for people to take in. There's a myth that says once you offend a child, you always will, and you know the person is deemed forever. Now, would you? Would I recommend you have your child freely, alone, unsupervised around someone who offended? No. But what I learned in the prison systems is that, or in outpatient treatment groups, is many of these people are so forthcoming with me when I sit with them and they want parents to learn how to keep their children safe because they don't want to Mm -hmm. offend. So it was eye-opening. I continue to do it. I still regularly meet with people and I learned so much.
0: Did you find that in the prisons that the people that offended those children were all offended themselves?
1: Okay. So let's focus mostly on the outpatient treatment groups that I did because- Okay. The prison system, I, I, I think I did three or four interviews there, but most of the work was with men and women, but mostly men who had mm. served their prison time, 16 years, 20 years, 30 years, 10 wow. years, and now we're in outpatient treatment. So the answer to your question is that half, some were and some weren't. Mm. The women, most of the women all were. But men, there were many who were not offended as children. Yeah.
0: That's interesting because I actually thought it would be almost all.
1: No, it isn't.
0: And so what was the information? How did they groom these children? How did they get these children in this position? And what are some practical tips for parents keeping their children safe?
1: Yeah, I'm glad we're going to talk about that. So. What I would say in terms of prevention, keeping your children safe from sexual abuse, there's, there's a couple of areas to focus on. And this is what I teach in my workshops in depth. The first area is educating yourself, learning how this crime happens to children. And along with that, even before that is being willing to admit that this is a problem, <laughs> Mm-hmm. That this that your child is vulnerable because all children are. Doesn't mean they will be abused at all, but all children are vulnerable. And so the denial that most people have around this, I don't want to learn this. How many times were you invited, Nikki, right? To come mm-hmm. to this workshop before you came? I don't want to learn this. I this is too scary. I don't want to scare my children. That type of denial is what these offenders tell me parents need to let go of because when you're in denial that this can happen is what makes a family vulnerable so Mm -hmm. the first step is this can happen and it does happen with that learning how it happens and you mentioned grooming so grooming is a set of behaviors typically that precede touch Mm -hmm. so a person whether it's an older youth who offends a teenager or an adult They behave in certain ways with children and the child's family to gain access, opportunity, control, separate the child from their loved ones, their parents. If the offender is the parent and it's incest, there's grooming to separate children from siblings or other family members, et cetera. The most fascinating thing I learn when I sit with people who offend children is that they tell me that they typically groom these preceding behaviors, the adults around the child first mm, that is before the child and then simultaneously. So you might be being groomed for a year before someone even approaches your child, building friendship, gaining trust, becoming invaluable in your life, ingratiating themselves into your life where. The boundary just feels like it's constantly being crossed, someone being uh, <clears throat> appearing too good to be true. You know it in your gut if you're experiencing it, if you're willing to listen, if we can get out of that denial, <clears throat> if someone's behaving with us this way, it, we feel it. So the grooming often is happening with the adults, the grooming in a school you know, if it's a school teacher or in a camp or in a sports club, it's befriending the other adults, appearing as the teacher of the year. I'm not saying all teachers of the year are abusers, mm-hmm. right? But having that all too good to be true personality. So that's the grooming around the adults. Again, with the children, it's rewarding them. It's building friendships. It's um, it's keeping secrets, demanding secrets, and then eventually mm-hmm desensitizing the child to touch by lots of hugs and piggyback rides and tickles and and even more today engaging children in viewing pornography to desensitize Mm -hmm. them to sexual material. So all of that often happens before a sexual touch even begins. Mm -hmm. And in short, that's grooving. In my workshops I go into examples of each one and and how to intervene and interrupt that cycle of grooming, which basically I will say here, because I never like to just give the bad news is that speaking up. If you see your child's swim teacher, uh, tickling your child under the water
0: mm-hmm.
1: or whatever behavior might make you uncomfortable, focusing special attention and you say something, mm-hmm. you say I notice you're tickling my child on his tummy under the water. I'm really uncomfortable with that. We don't tickle. Please stop. What I ta- what these offenders tell me is if you are willing to speak up like that, typically they're going to run the other way. But when we turn our backs and we ignore it because we don't want to get it wrong, we don't want to offend, we don't want to seem hyper vigilant. That's the permission that we offer to people who offend.
0: Um, I do remember in your workshops, you saying that the offenders typically go after the children where the parents are not that involved, um, where they're not as willing to speak up and they're not as engaged with the children. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. And a very engaged involved parent can also have a child who experiences sex abuse. There's no real absolute blueprint for this crime. However, what you just said is correct. It's Mm -hmm. the child who it has needs that are unmet, the child who is yearning for attention and yearning for connection. Mm -hmm. But I've also, Nikki, known families where all of that was provided and the child was still targeted. So Mm -hmm. what I can really offer is that the more you speak, to all of your children's caregivers you make it a habit and this is what I call the prevention team and like what I like to focus on is that you make it a, a you choose in your family and make this a regular conversation with anyone who spends time with your children that includes like you said babysitters and school personnel and your own family is just mm-hmm. as important relatives grandparents siblings sibling incest and abuse, sibling abuse, is the most common type of familial sexual abuse. So that you're speaking, mm-hmm. you're building this team with your the siblings, and but more so this conversation with the adults around your child and the conversation meaning letting people know what your children's body safety boundaries are, that there's no touching and your child doesn't keep secrets and uh, no touching genitals. And... Mm-hmm that your child's allowed to choose hugs and kisses and all these body safety rules I go through. So I'm going to ask you this, imagine you're sitting across from a potential nanny. Okay. Or babysitter. Mm -hmm. And you, you are asking questions. You're getting to know this person. You're maybe asking about their experience with children. You're asking about how they discipline, whatever's important to you. And what if you wove in, a conversation about the boundaries in your home around safe touch. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. let this babysitter know that in your family, your children know they're the boss of their body, mm-hmm. and that no one touches their genitals, and they don't touch other people's. And you ask this sitter, if they're on board, and if they've ever learned things like this, imagine for a moment that this person and this can be a babysitter, this can be a coach, this can be, you know, the gymnastics teacher, whomever it is that you're speaking with imagine for a moment that that person unbeknownst to you has a sexual behavior problem with children Mm -hmm. what might that person do not want to babysit not want to babysit babysit. Mm -hmm. i can't promise that Mm -hmm. but typically they now know whoa nikki's family Is on top of this. She's willing to speak about this candidly. The Mm -hmm. same with anyone you speak with family members and those extended community members. Mm -hmm. By speaking up like this, what you're doing is you're letting the world know your child is off limits. And you're inviting them, if hopefully they're a safe person, they probably are, to be part of your team. And that's how we can reduce the risks to children. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And I remember in your remember workshop, your- you giving this information and then us having to practice it and how incredibly uncomfortable and difficult it was. And I think that a lot of parents probably avoid this conversation because it is uncomfortable and difficult. And um, it did help in the workshop to practice that with yeah. uh, strangers around us and, yeah. and have those really uncomfortable moments.
1: So right now is a perfect time to ask you and everyone listening, you ask yourself, are you willing to feel mm-hmm. a little uncomfortable learning about child sex abuse so your children never have to hopefully experience it, mm-hmm. right? So that's a personal question, and this is what stops us from really doing our best for children is we are so uncomfortable with this topic, and that's what offenders count on. Mm-hmm. Your children are counting on you to push through that discomfort. Are we willing as adults? Because it's an adult's responsibility to protect children from sex abuse. It is not their responsibility to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And what I see so much, Nikki, is that people focus on teaching children these body safety skills and rules, which is great, but not at the expense of also speaking with the adults. And mm-hmm. I love that you started with that because that tells me you walked away with that, mm-hmm. that it's just as important, if not more, to, for you to be conversing with people around your child instead of relying and putting the burden on your son mm-hmm. to have to tell people not to touch my private parts. That's mm-hmm. not his job. Now, hopefully, if someone ever did that, he'd have the strength and the ability to mm-hmm. resist but it's not up to children. And most children can't resist this. And they don't because the brain freezes during a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. So my whole message is it's up to us. We have to do this. Mm
0: -hmm. One of the things I remember about your workshop um, that I took away, I took away a lot of things, but um, was that we don't keep secrets in our family. We have surprises. Um, And it took a while to re-educate my brain um, to reframe everything as a surprise. Um, And can you share more about why that's important?
1: Yeah. So almost every person who offends a child either verbally or non-verbally insinuates that this must be a secret because you can't continue to abuse a child sexually and touch them without a secret. You must have silence. And so there are so many bribes that go along with this sexual touch around secret keeping. You know, this is our special secret and no one else can know. And I love you more than I love your sister. And so it's just ours. And if you tell, and then there's a whole barrage of threats that occur. Mommy won't love you. Mm. I'll be in trouble. I'll go to jail. You'll go to jail. People will think it's your fault. And all of these threats keep children silent. They just do. And so one thing I'll share with you, Nikki, that I wasn't probably talking about back then when you attended, so it's always good to get a refresher, is that, yes, it's important to teach children that in your family you have surprises and that secrets aren't safe. But the reality of the crime of sexual abuse of children is that children do keep this a secret. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is a nuance that I've been really discussing in the workshops. They do keep secrets around sex abuse and around developmental things as well. Mm -hmm. But around child sex abuse, the consequences of telling are so great to them because they've been bribed. So if you asked a room of a hundred survivors, if they told anyone or they kept this a secret, you would find that most children do not tell. Mm-hmm. They don't. So if that's the truth about this crime, and then our language to children is something like, you should never keep a secret if someone touches your genitals, your vagina, your penis, your vulva, your, and I'm using the correct words here, which is mm-hmm. important. You should never keep this a secret. You should always tell, and we don't have secrets, Then what's going to happen if this does occur to a child and you've taught them never keep a secret and you must tell. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the shame and the blame, self-blame is just maximized. So what, so the shift that I've made in the language is instead of saying we never keep secrets or you should always tell is you have my permission to tell you're allowed to try to do your very best to tell. And if you can't because you're too afraid, I understand. It's never too late to tell. That just takes the blame off the child and around secrets to say instead of we, you should never keep a secret, just shift the language a little bit to say secrets aren't safe for children, and this is why, because then I can't do my best to keep you safe. So Mm -hmm. we don't keep secrets, but if you ever do, I won't be mad at you. I love you. And we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. So it's just taking that blame off of children. Mm -hmm. But yes, secrets and surprises is a big part of, of child sex abuse prevention.
0: Um, a, a really important takeaway that I took from your workshop was that nobody touches my child without his permission. And that sounds really big, but I broke it down into something really small. So when my mom would say to my child, oh, come give me a hug. And he would say no. And she'd say, oh, please, please. And kind of pretend her feelings would get hurt. My response is no. If he, he is one that makes that decision. And I'll never force him to kiss anybody goodbye, to hug anybody, to do any kind of touch that's um, not something that he's wanting to do. And that was a really big takeaway is, is instead of going into like these big conversations, it can start with something really small.
1: He doesn't want to hug.
0: I'm not going to make him hug and telling him it's okay. You don't have to hug anybody. You don't want to hug. You don't have to kiss anybody. You don't want to kiss. This is your body. You make the decisions about how you want to be touched. And he'll do that sometimes. Like sometimes I'll tickle him because he's nine. And um, and sometimes he'll say, no, I don't want you to tickle me. This is my body. And I'm like, that's awesome. This is your body. And you make that decision. And so we can practice it in small ways. It doesn't have to be um, in huge ways. And we can bring that up in, in
1: our daily and weekly interactions with our children. Absolutely. And with your mom, with the adults. Right. Right. Right, And you can call this, you can name it consent for your child and for your mom. And the beauty of this, and this is the prevention team, okay, Mm -hmm. is you're teaching your child, he doesn't have to have hugs and kisses, but now you get to teach your mom why you're teaching your son that Mm -hmm. and ask for her buy-in, ask her to be part of helping keeping him safe. Because you know, your your parents and grandparents often need to learn the why behind this. So you might mm-hmm. say something like, Mom, this isn't about you. We're allowing, I don't know your child's name, but we're allowing Billy to choose if he wants to give a hug or a kiss when he says a hello or goodbye. Mm-hmm. And this isn't personal, but we're allowing him to choose if he's ever in a situation that's unsafe, where someone's making him have touches. Will you be part? of helping him be safe by practicing with him that he's allowed to say that no. Instead Mm -hmm. of, oh, come on, oh, come on, I want my hug. Be part of the solution, just like you did when you tickle and your son says, no, I don't want it. Train your mom to do that and Mm -hmm. tell her the why behind it. Mm -hmm. The other thing I just want to make a little, uh, make this clear, how you started this particular topic was you've taught, your takeaway was that your child Um, gets to choose who touches them. I think Mm -hmm. that's how you said it. Well, yes, with hugs and kisses. But we want to be clear here that children cannot give consent to sexual touch. Mm -hmm. So if an adult is manipulating them to have their genitals touched or to touch someone else's, Mm -hmm. that person, that adult can get that child to say yes, but that does not mean your child Mm -hmm. chose that or let the person or Mm -hmm. gave permission. So, uh, you know, I just like to really clarify that your child gets to choose when Mm -hmm. they share, give and receive affection, but not sexual touches. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think you have that. (laughs) That makes total sense. I think you have that book that you recommended boss of my body. Is that it?
1: I don't have a book. My uh, Miles is the boss of his body. I have right there. Mm -hmm. Actually, you can't see it. Um, And there's a whole list of books that I recommend on my website at Mm parentingsafechildren.com. Maybe you can add that in on the resource page. Lots of children's books that are wonderful um, to share with your children and then to have the adults understand the material, because I'm always going to follow with that. It's not just focused on children.
0: I think that was the gateway for us too, was that you shared about these resources and these books and that these kids are never too young. So when our little boy was just starting to get introduced to books is when we started bringing these books in. It's not about talking to them when they're my kids age like nine and 10. It starts a lot Earlier and so those books and those resources that you share are a really good way I think for parents to start to talk to their children and get comfortable and to talk about body parts and um, body safety, um, and and also, um, another great tool that you have in your book is we have an off limits home, and so if people have a little bit of difficulty sharing and having those conversations. Um, I think you talked about posting it in, in the home, posting it on the fridge so that the babysitter can see it, so that family members that come into the home can see it. Do you want to talk about some of those things that are
1: on that page? What you're talking about here is the appendix, mm-hmm. in the back of the book, of my book Off Limits. And the publisher has given permission for the reader to actually photocopy the Mm -hmm. appendix. Mm -hmm. And it's not copyrighted. So one of the pages is called, um, I am an off-limits kid. So it lists all Mm -hmm. the reasons hopefully your child is safe. And the one you're talking about says, we have an off-limits home. Mm -hmm. So you can photocopy these and put, like you said, have them as conversation starters Uh, with people who come in your homes. Um, So we allow all family members to have privacy in our home. Mm -hmm. That includes children. Children get to have privacy. We don't punish our children for telling the truth about breaking a rule. So that's talking about punishment and how it is. There's never a purpose in punishing a child around body safety, because Mm -hmm. then they won't tell if they have something to worry about. How about one more? We play what if games to promote body safety skills. So there's literally two pages of ideas of how to have a child be less vulnerable and have a safer home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad you use that. Do you have it posted in your house? I
0: don't, but I know that when we've had uh, out of town relatives and they've stayed in our home, you know, we've had these conversations in the beginning and, um, And, you know, sometimes my little boy will sleep naked. And when family comes, we're like, okay, you need, you know, it's not appropriate when other people in the home, you need to wear your pajamas. And I think that in trusting your gut and your intuition as a parent, I feel like we almost always know. And if something feels wrong or bad that we really need
1: to trust that. Absolutely. It is the Mm -hmm. best safety guide indicator that we have for ourselves and children. There's no question. Gavin De Becker is an author that I really admire. Um, protecting the Gift and the Gift of Fear are two of his books. Really talk a lot about intuition. And mm-hmm. if something doesn't feel right, it usually isn't. And I, I have so many parents who have said to me, you know, I knew something was wrong. Something was off. But I just didn't know what. Mm -hmm. and their child, unfortunately, was abused. So if you don't know what it is, talk to someone, get some help, get some professional help, talk to a friend, yeah.
0: And I remember at your workshop there was a mother and daughter duo, um, and the mother had come to your workshops and was very versed and had these conversations with her daughter and was super on top of this whole topic, And, and her daughter was offended by her gymnastics coach. despite all of the education. And so, um, that's a possibility too, that we do as parents, we do everything right. And we have these conversations and still, even with having that knowledge that they can still be offended. And it shows how incredibly vulnerable our kids are because that little girl was, was educated and was offended. And, um, was able to prevent the situation from furthering and was able to protect some of her teammates. Um, but it took a while for her to come forward. And, and when she did, there were other people on the gymnastics team that had also been offended by that coach.
1: Yeah. I remember the workshop. Now I know where I met you. Do you? Um, oh, funny. So just to clarify a little bit about that story, when you met them, um, Leslie was her name, and she's open and public about this. She was probably just going off to college. Mm-hmm. And so her mom was practicing prevent. came to this workshop when she was two, practicing it all these years. What I also learned was that she, for some reason, she had not spoken with this particular gymnastics teacher. She
0: mm-hmm. was
1: practicing this and doing this with everyone, and she hadn't with him. And uh, we can go to the length to say that, that this young woman was offended, but really what happened was he was starting the grooming process. Well, Mm -hmm. he was definitely grooming the parents and he was starting the touching with her and her teammates. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think he actually sexually assaulted her Mm -hmm. meaning genitals. However, Mm -hmm. I don't want to define what somebody feels as sexual assault. Mm-hmm. I mean, he grazed her, he touched her—not okay. But I, I do want to, you know, clarify that she told within. The, I think the second time this happened, mm-hmm. so that it's not the first time, but pretty quickly there, and her parents were incredibly supportive. Like immediately got involved. Shut this down, and the beauty, the success of this story is that she was able to tell. Mm-hmm. She didn't let it wasn't going on for years. I mean, if she didn't tell, he might have continued and and raped her. I mean, mm-hmm. she was 16 years, 17 years old. So she did tell, and to me, that's a success story. And to that family, it was as well. Yeah, and you know what I, you know, when a child tells their story. They tell what they're ready to tell. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. And it often comes in pieces over time. They're testing the reactions of the adults to see if we will listen with care. We will open our heart. We will protect them. We will let them know we will protect them rather than blame them and shut them down and tell them not to tell. And so I don't know really what happened. I just know what she shared. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, the over the clothes and and the grooming. The dad came a year later, Nikki, to talk in front of that same group, Mm -hmm. and that was powerful to talk about how he was groomed by this man as the gymnastics coach. So he was on his way to hurting children. Mm -hmm. What I remember is that the coach was inviting this dad and many of the dads Mm -hmm. out to have beers. Mm -hmm. I don't think this mom would; she would have seen that as a sign. And she was uncomfortable with her husband going out to beers. So mm-hmm. it's like those little ways that we know something's wrong, but we think, oh, he's just being a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And then there are just nice guys who are not offendings. But when when that is, when that is true, you usually don't feel sick to your stomach. Mm-hmm. You just don't because there's nothing within, no ill intentions are occurring. Our bodies are brilliant. Mm-hmm. And they tell us. When something's wrong, yeah. So, what would be an appropriate response
0: for a parent if a child does come forward with this information? And I, I hear what you're saying about listening and trusting and believing, and um. But how? What kind of actions
1: would be appropriate to take? Yeah. So the first is responding to the child with care and letting them know you will protect them and you love them. And no one had the right to do that to them. And thank you for telling all that kind of language is what's so important. And it's the moment a child can begin to heal is the moment the disclosure happens if they're responded to like that. So in terms of action, you know, if there has been a sexual touch to a genital, I mean, it needs to get reported. So and I interrupted myself there, grooming you can report also, but social services or the police are not going to intervene in grooming. They might record it, but they, they won't take action. But if a child discloses sex abuse, it is very, very important to report to your local social service agency. And they will if there's another agency that needs to be involved, like the police, typically the laws state that if the person is outside of the family, you report Mm -hmm. to the police. If they are inside the family to social services, I say, go ahead and call social services because they're a little more trained. And then they decide if the situation uh, warrants an investigation or a conversation with the family. What I want to say here, Nikki, is that people hear this and they are terrified. They don't want to get involved in the system. They don't want to report. And I understand that wholeheartedly working in this field for decades. However, if you don't report and you go to a therapist to help your child or to your pediatrician or some type of care, they will have to report it and you will not be able to get that assistance. They have to do it. They're mandated. Okay. Mm-hmm. So reporting is really important. They And the reason to do that is so they can choose if they're going to speak with the child, hopefully at a family advocacy center with trained forensic interviewers to find out what's going on. And I'll insert here, because we haven't talked about this, that the most common type of sexual abuse in families, I think I mentioned this earlier, which is mm-hmm. the most prominent place this happens within a family is siblings. Mm -hmm. So yeah, child to child sexual abuse, whether it's a sibling or a friend or a babysitter or some other youth makes up a third to a half of all Mm -hmm. sex abuse. So all that grooming we spoke about a few minutes ago, typically does not occur between children. Okay. Teenagers surely can groom a younger child than they Mm -hmm. do. But when we're talking about six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and five-year-olds who are taking their clothes off and touching genitals in adult-like ways, performing acts that are too advanced for their age and their knowledge, not exploratory, expected, normal behaviors like doctor and role-playing and mimicking, Mm -hmm. changing diapers and looking at vaginas, but engaging in sexual activity that their brain can't know for their age. It's so important to get some help, to shut that down and to get some help because they're, they've learned it somewhere. And that's why a report needs to get made is so in those cases also. So social services can decide whether or not to interview the children to find out where it's coming from.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And and on many cases of child to child, abuse don't even get opened. They just, they don't have the bandwidth, resources Mm -hmm. to open all these cases.
0: Is that that sometimes sometimes re-traumatizing to the children?
1: It can be. Hopefully you get a, the truth, you know, and it can also be incredibly empowering for a child to tell their story and be believed and make it stop. Mm -hmm. And what could be re-traumatizing even more is for it to continue happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so I think the part that's so important is educating parents to have these conversations, educating parents to be open with their children, to have that level of trust, to um, speak about body parts and appropriate touches. What other things can parents do to
1: keep their children safe? Mm -hmm. One piece I'll tell you that isn't talked about very often is to educate your children from as early as possible, and it's never too late, about sexual development. So to start when you are changing a diaper and use correct terminology for their genitals, Mm -hmm. and then to um, educate them all along the way about Sexual development. Answer their questions when they ask. Mm -hmm. By six and seven years old, every child should have information and know about reproduction, how a baby is made. You don't necessarily have to get into details about sexual intercourse or IVF or donor egg. You certainly can. You know your child best, but they need to have this information. And the reason they need it is because children who are educated about sexual development are less vulnerable to sexual abuse because mm-hmm. offenders see them as educated, but also because it's the truth. And and what I ask parents in my seminars is, who do you want to be the person who teaches your child about menstruation and about erections and about sexual intercourse and about love and about consent and about all the areas that go along with this. And most parents say, I want to be the person. And if you want to be the person, then do it. Because mm-hmm. I ask that question and then we start to practice in my workshops, answering kids' questions and people freeze. Like mm-hmm. the, the blush and the embarrassment. And it all makes sense. It's a topic that makes people uncomfortable. But if you don't teach your children about sex and sexual development, I promise you someone else will. And usually the person who does it, I'm going to hold it up right here, is this little device. Mm-hmm. Because if your seven-year-old hears the word sex on the playground and they don't know what it is and they can't ask you or that you won't answer it and tell them they don't need to know or, or you haven't been proactive, they will go here. It's they funny. will ask their friend. And when they type in what is sex, what do you think comes up on the device? Images, that you don't want them images. to see. So pornography is an epidemic in this country with youth all, worldwide. And that is the number one way children are learning about sex today. Mm-hmm. This is a different world. You know, four-year-olds are be, being exposed to images through children's YouTubes and children's games and and the devices that they're put on, they're put in front of. And so pornography prevention exposure is part of this body safety. And it's one of the pieces I talk about in the workshop is Mm -hmm. doing your very best to have proactive conversations with your children about what porn is and what sex is Mm -hmm. and what your values are. But that pornography for a child's brain, those images are dangerous. They're unhealthy and you want to do your best to prevent it. And if it does happen, how to respond to them and how to get them some help. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I think that's an important point is to have these conversations when they're so young, because I think we typically wait until puberty to have these conversations.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's a great point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's never too late, but really you want, you want your child to know that you are the person they can come to about anything. Right.
0: Um, this has been so amazing, Feather. I would love for you to just share a little bit about how people can contact you, the resources that you have, your website and other ways that people can get this uh, valuable information from you.
1: Sure. So my website is com. And I do live workshops via Zoom so people all over the world can attend. And I'm having people from countries everywhere, which has been so exciting. Mm-hmm. My calendar is listed on the website for live workshops. And they typically occur over two weekends so two and a half hours one weekend and two and a half hours the next. Occasionally I'll do it all in five hours in one day. Which September 30th is my next workshop that's happening. That school wants that. Um, so I have dates in September, October, November, um, and I'll have more for the new year. I also have a pre-recorded online workshop which is very similar, but it was pre-recorded years ago, so it's not updated regularly. Mm -hmm. That one, I don't talk about about pornography, but the rest of it is very similar and a great option for people who can't come live. And what else? My book, Off Limits You Spoke About, is on my website. And that actually, we didn't talk about really briefly, goes along with these conversation starter cards. Mm -hmm. So they're a pack of 25 cards that help you get a conversation started with a caregiver. So it's called, Will You Join Our Prevention Team? It has four body safety rules. It has four facts about child sex abuse and four asks, Mm -hmm. things you're asking for. I take these to the offender groups and I share these with the men. And I ask them, what would they do if a parent handed them that card before they offended? Mm -hmm. And most of them say they'd run the other way. They'd run for the hills. And then I'm, I post regularly on social media to follow and Facebook and Instagram. And that's pretty much where you can find me LinkedIn.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And I'll put all that information in the show notes, but I really appreciate your time, your dedication to this important message and, um, And obviously it's stuck with me for all of these years. I think it's a really, really important topic. And I had so many takeaways and I really encourage every single parent in the whole world to listen to your message because it is so important and everything that we can do to keep our children safe as a parent is uh, worth doing. So thank you for your work. Thank you,
1: Nikki, so much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Connected Community Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe. I can be found at www.nikkyyoga.com. N I C acom Until I see you again next week, I hope you have a beautiful day.